0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology,
1: Blu-ray, television.
2: This is the HHW Podcast Network.
3: Handed together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes.
4: Dude. His dudeness. Duder. El Duderino. Dude.
3: Dude. Dedicated to a single objective. The conquest of the universe.
2: It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the Dudes.
0: Hello, everyone. It's the Legion of Dudes episode 169. This is Russ, and we're a little light today. So I have with me Mr. Jordan from Jersey. Good evening.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going pretty good. This is going to be kind of a light and breezy episode of the Legion of Dudes. Uh, I was at Wizard World Austin last weekend, as you as you hear this. Uh, it's a fairly new con that Wizard's putting on. They used to have one that they just called Wizard World Texas. And it was located in Dallas, and if you've listened to Half Hour Wasted, you've heard probably coverage of that con in in years past. And they took a break for a year, and then they brought it down to Austin and uh, had a pretty good turnout last year. And uh, depending who you talk to, I think they had a pretty good turnout this year. There were some folks I talked to that thought that last year was busier, but I I beg to differ. It was kind of an odd. It's a three-day con. So it was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on Friday last year, they did it 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. So it was really light that first day. And I got there about 6-ish, just to pick up my uh, press pass and stuff. And it was pretty dead. And uh, this year, they did it from 4 to 9. And um, a lot of the dealers, I got there right about 4.15 because I had Veterans Day off. And uh, a lot of the vendors were still setting up. But Artist Alley was really packed, which which was kind of surprising. I would have thought people would have been doing more shopping and looking for deals, but, but they were all, they have a pretty large artist alley area, quite, you know, quite a few rows of tables. I would say probably 12 to maybe 14 rows of tables. Um, and they have people on, on, you know, both sides. So, um, so it's pretty, pretty impressive artist alley area and some,
1: some pretty good talent. How big is the the venue in general?
0: It's hard to gauge. I'm, I'm, I'm not really a good, um,
1: well, I mean, we we were both just at New York Comic Con, so compare it to Oh, dwarf. It I it, mean, I I'm sure it's much smaller, but yeah. compared to like a room there or something, I guess. Um or a wing maybe.
0: Yeah. I I guess if I'm trying to I'm trying I'm trying to to kind of picture it. Um maybe if you went down by the Artist Alley area in right. in New York, it's ma- the whole con was including the the section next to it was maybe About that size, maybe two thirds of that size.
1: Okay, so still Um, pretty sizable then. It's it's a a fairly decent size. Now, for those of us who don't know uh, Texas geography, how far is Austin from Dallas? How how far do they move this? It's
0: about three hours, so it's about 180. Austin's about 180 miles south of of Dallas, so it's not not a huge deal. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because Austin you know Dallas geographically the metroplex the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex as they call it is definitely a larger a, a bigger uh, dem- demographic i guess a bigger overall you know number as far as as far as people but i think a comic con is is kind of more attuned to Austin as a um, you know as a city you know, people like to come to Austin. It's kind of a destination place. Things like South by Southwest and Austin City Limits and things like that, those music-centric festivals are getting really popular. And big,
1: big arts community, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Austin's very eclectic, and a Comic-Con in Austin just seems like a really good fit. So so I felt that it was definitely – there was more crowd there than the – I only went to the last year they had in, in, in Dallas, the Wizard World Con kind of in, in Dallas. And this definitely had more of a crowd than than at least that last year they had it in Dallas. Um, it, it it's funny the the Texas Cons shopping wise are fairly good but not fantastic. Uh, I actually found better trade and issue deals in New York if you can believe that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean there were a lot of I found a lot of five dollar trade and ten dollar hardcover vendors in in New York surprisingly. And the best you were going to really find in Austin was maybe there were a couple guys that had $10 hardcovers and $5 trays, but they weren't that good, and a lot of them were kind of beat up. Most of them that were in, in decent shape were just straight half off, and, and most of those guys go to a lot of the Texas shows, and they're not really willing to haggle too much because they'll just carry it forward to the next show. Um, right. but, I was, but I was able to score um, – I've kind of been on this Conan kick lately, so – uh I was able to get a couple more of the phone book-sized Savage Sword of Conan reprints that Dark Horse has been putting out. I got a couple vintage X-Men issues from the Claremont Burn run for, for a pretty good price. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And I got three issues of Uncanny. So now I am one issue away of having a run of, of Uncanny X-Men from 139 until the last issue because they just restarted it. So 544, 545, I think it was. Wow. Yes, yeah, so I'm one issue away. So I was really happy with that. Uh, so that that was cool. Uh, Friday was good. Uh, Greg Capullo was there, and I'm gonna say this a lot, and I'm I'm honestly not, you know, glad handing or you know being overly generous or gracious because it seems so cliche to say, he's the nicest guy ever or she's the nicest you know lady ever. But Greg Capullo is was just awesome. I mean just a super cool guy. He was there with his wife and I guess it was his stepson who's maybe eight or nine years old. He took the time the cool thing about Capullo was if, if you were just a regular, had regular passes, the first 200 people at his table in artist alley got a exclusive, uh, Bane print that he did, um, signed and numbered. And if you were VIP, you got this full color print of, I forget what it was, but, uh, so the line was fairly long, but I was only maybe 50 back in line, and he literally took the time to shake everybody's hand. He would ask you your name, he'd say hello, he was making small talk. If you wanted to take a picture, he would hold up the entire line and and pull you behind the table, behind in front of his banner and you know, he'd pose with a picture for you and you know, make sure the picture came out okay and if it didn't, you know, he was wanting, you know, you know, his, his wife was taking the pictures, and I just just super super cool. Um, so, so so I got my print and you know said hello, and I just told him you know that I thought the the Batman book was definitely the shining star of the of the new 52, and a lot of it was his art. And uh, issue two and three kind of hold that tradition uh, for sure. And his wife was like, oh, he's having so much fun drawing this book. You know, he really he really likes it, and he was just so gracious about you know all the people that were you know given him so many compliments about stuff and uh, and so that was really cool. So that was kind of a, a nice little highlight for for Friday night.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So then I was able to get I got a few interviews. So as you'll as you'll hear this episode, this is basically a con interview episode. And I apologize for the audio quality in advance. The the quality overall isn't too bad, but Um, I'm still learning, I guess, my H2 Zoom, and I thought I was recording both front and back, and apparently I was just recording the front, so I've had to kind of boost the audio levels. So if things sound a little uneven, I apologize, but uh, you could definitely make out uh, both sides of the interview. So I was lucky enough to get time with Freddie Williams II, who most of you may know art on uh, DC's Robin, and then The Flash, and then JSA All-Stars, and currently he's doing the art for Captain Atom. So we talked a lot about captain adam has changed in art style the new 52 um and it was really cool to kind of get his perspective on on the new 52 and kind of being an insider and a behind the scenes guy and what he knew and when he knew it um it was it was interesting conversation
1: very cool yeah it'll be be fun to hear that for sure
0: yeah and most of these are going to be just 10 minutes so they're they're pretty short these guys were pretty busy i didn't want to take up too much of their time there. You know, they're there to make money. They're there to you know meet with the fans and do signings. So I I, I never want to be too um, um, too selfish with with uh, taking up too much of their time. Uh, th- then also Friday night I was able to talk to Michael Golden, um, artist Michael Golden, and that was great. And I wish I would have kept the recorder going after we stopped the actual formal interview because he went on for about thirty minutes and just told the most awesome stories about uh, you know how he got. The Star Wars issue and and the Avengers annual with Rogue and working with Claremont and his view on the Marvel method of of uh, of comic book creation and and his kind of disillusionment with that after after that annual uh, so that was that was a lot of fun just just talking to him I didn't get an interview with but we we talked to Kevin McGuire, who was there also artist Kevin McGuire, and that was a lot of fun he's just kind of a really laid back dude and uh, and uh, had had some cool stories to tell as well so then Friday night foolishly enough, and and the cause of great frustration, uh, my car was actually towed at the con. So,
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Yeah, that was not fun. Apparently in Austin, heads up to all you folks in Austin, if you park downtown after August of this year, of 2011, the meters don't shut off at 6 p.m. anymore. They keep going till midnight, which I did not know. Um, So after an hour of driving around, thank you, Trevor Pearson, for, for being kind of the chauffeur. Uh, we finally realized that my car had been towed. And uh, it was just a comedy of errors and craziness. And uh, eventually Dennis Poo, listener Dennis Poo, and uh, and a, a good friend, uh, was able to kind of help me out a little bit because um, I was having trouble with my credit card and I was $40 short on cash of getting my car out. So he came to the rescue with uh, <laughs> with an extra 40 bucks and saved me another trip to the ATM. And, uh, and I was able to get it. So needless to say, I didn't get home until 2 in the morning and not – you know, normally, if you said, hey, I got home at 2 in the morning after a con, that would be a good night, um, but sad, sadly, it was not the case for me. Uh, so I got a little bit of a late start getting out there Saturday, and unfortunately, I had to head back to Houston um, early Saturday afternoon, so I didn't get as much time to uh, to do as much as I wanted to do Saturday. But I was able to get a couple of more interviews. One of them was with Anthony Guajardo, who played Miguel on the Walking Dead episode Vatos.
1: And he's been, a, he's been a supporter of our show, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's really cool. We talked to him. Brad and I talked to him and interviewed him uh, for The Walking Dead TV show uh, last year for, for the Dallas Con. I guess that was like January. Uh, so it was kind of cool. Last year at The Wizard Con, that show hadn't even aired yet because The Walking Dead started later. Right. And The Con was earlier. So it was really cool talking to him. He was there with his mom and his dad and his, I, th- I guess it was his little sister, maybe. Uh, and um, so she was really, really nice. And uh, he was just a great guy to talk to. It's funny when we talked to him in January, he was, I, I think he was still trying to get used to the whole con scene because he was a lot, a lot more reserved, a lot, seemed a lot more shy. And and this time, uh, he's definitely gracious, just super, super nice guy, a really sweet kid. But he was, he was definitely a lot more engaging. Um, felt a lot a lot more confident, you know, and a lot more, I think used to this craziness that is the comic con. So that was really fun sitting and talking to him for about, uh, for again, for about 10 or 10 or 12 minutes. Um, so hope you'll enjoy that. And then lastly, I was able to get a little bit of time with uh, Mr. Nick Patara, who was the artist on the image book, the red wing with Jonathan Hickman. So we talked a little bit about Hickman's style, um, time travel and, um, the craziness that that goes with that.
1: Yeah, that one should be really interesting. I'm interested to hear what uh how an artist interacts with Jonathan Hickman for sure.
0: And and it was really cool because, you know, as we know, Hickman himself is an artist and and is very focused on graphic design. So
1: it was really extremely focused on it. Almost to a ridiculous level, but in a good way.
0: Yeah, and if you're if you're used to his Marvel stuff, you may not realize it as much with his Marvel stuff, but if you've read, you know, Nightly News and and Pax Romana and then even The Red Wing. Um, you definitely see that influence is full fully in effect for that. So that was a lot of fun, and he even talked about a book they have upcoming. It's going to be called, uh, I think it was called the Manhattan Project, and uh, with with Hickman. Yes, yes. It's, oh, it's, very nice. It's gonna be another. I think he said four issue mini with Hickman coming out mid next year, early next year, I think. And
1: well, you say the Manhattan Project and Jonathan Hickman in the same sentence, and you've got me on board right away. Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> you'll hear it from Nick himself, but basically the the quick premise is we all know that um, Einstein and Oppenheimer and all those guys created the atomic bomb, but Hickman's take is going to be – they did a bunch of other stuff other than just that, and they, they're going to explore the other crazy stuff that they you know quote-unquote invented and um, and its impact on the world. So it's kind of one of those revisionist history kind of things. So it ought to be really, really cool.
1: Very interesting.
0: Yeah. So that that's that. And I think, um, again, Nick was really awesome, uh, gave me his contact info. So he was totally willing to do a longer form interview, uh, you know, over Skype or over the phone, you know, where we can not have so much kind of background noise going on. But, again, just, just super nice guy, Houston native, Houston local, um, uh, uh, a Cougar graduate um, as well. So, so a lot of fun. So um, – so that, that's what we have. So again, you'll hear – after this, you'll hear these four interviews kind of back to back to back to back, um, and Jordan and I will um, we'll make our exit until next week.
1: Yeah, next week when we will be talking Fables, Volume 3.
0: Yes, yes, the long-awaited return of Fables.
1: So, long, so long-awaited that it was – the last version or the last episode on Fables was before I joined the show, so yeah. it's been a while.
0: Yeah, and we'll have Megan, Megan Washington back to, to talk as well.
1: Yeah, by popular demand.
0: Yes, very much so. Very much so. Okay, so enjoy the Austin Comic-Con interviews. Oh, and check out the website, uh, hwlod.com. I'm posting some pictures up as well that I took from from the con. There's some decent cosplay going on, so I got some, some pictures, took some pictures of the pros that were there. Uh, so, so definitely check that out on the photos and videos section um, under Austin Comic-Con 2011. All right, this is Russ. I'm here at the Austin Comic Con with Mr. Freddie Williams the 2nd. How are you, sir? Hi, how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So you you've had your your big long run on Robin and then then you did some Flash and then JSA All-Stars and now you're doing Captain adam for the new 52. Yep, yeah. So how's that how, how is it being a part of that whole relaunch with all the excitement and all the the press and all the eyes that are upon it?
2: Um <clears throat> quite a big surprise, I think. Um for me, like when DC offered me Captain Adam, I had no idea that it was a part of this much bigger launch. So um, what I mean is, it was secret. It was a secret even to me um, that there was this big thing that was on the horizon. Um, I did the the map for the the world of like Flashpoint, you know, that shows like all the different continental breakdowns and stuff. Right, right. And even that was like my first inkling that something really big was on the horizon. Um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, Captain Adam has been very well received, and um, I'm really happy to be working on him with J.T. Kroll the
0: writer. Yeah, no, I, one of the things I noticed, too, is it's, it's a little bit of a departure in, in styles for you, too, which I, I think I always love to see when artists kind of change it up a little bit and that we don't see the same thing kind of over and over again. So was that something that, that you decided yourself, or was it something that was just natural in the story? or? Um, yeah,
2: it was something that I decided myself. I mean, it, it was um, because of story reasons. It was... Um, uh, we were already talking about, from the very beginning, before I did any work, uh, JT and I were talking about the, the isolation that, that Captain Adam would feel, and this was a way to, to show that visually, to show the rest of the world um, rendered in this stark black and white, kind of a wet brush inking style, and then having Captain Adam <clears throat> as a gray wash figure, so he almost looked ghostly or like an energy body, um, totally separated from the, the rest of the world. So it shows him... Not of the world, basically. So, um, it, it just came from an artistic um, experimentation that also worked for the story. So,
0: awesome. So, it um, one of the one of the things with Captain adam is he. I mean, I know he's had regular ongoings in the past, but he's always mostly associated with being a part of the Justice League or a part of the team. And then folks that are are familiar recently with the Justice League Unlimited. So, this is kind of neat that he's able to get kind of a fresh start in his own book to kind of you know. Do his own thing as opposed to always being a part of something else.
2: Yes, I agree. I I think that it's in the past. Not every story has been like this, but it's easy for him to be relegated to being just uh, the strong the strong guy who shoots energy blasts, right? Yeah. And um, when they have a radiation leak, he can absorb it or something. So, um, but we're trying to do uh, a lot to make him come into his own, uh, to give him a unique psychology and hopefully a storyline that'll that'll define him for you know, for, for the rest of however long he's around, you know
0: what I mean. So. Yeah, sure. So how how surprised were you when when you know obviously the, the a lot of the comics news sites. I don't know if you if you troll around too many of those sites, but when the numbers started coming back, or hearing from comic shop owners or, or fans and stuff about how how all of these books, you know, especially the number ones, all sold out. They all got second printings. That the energy is still high. I mean, we're into the third month now, and it in folks I talk to and come in contact with, everybody's still pretty energized about about the whole line.
2: Yeah, first, um, first of all, no, I, I do not frequent message boards or anything <laughs> like that. Um, it's it's too easy to let um, to let the negative or positive affect me in undue ways. Like sure, uh, I, there there are some review sites that I'll go to because they're actually intelligent and usually unbiased uh, right. reviews of things. Um, so, but uh, as far as the numbers, I've been very happy about that. I you know my. Uh, uh, somebody from from DC called me to let me know what the the numbers were for Captain Atom, which were pretty high con- considering um, that he's not like a uh, an A-list character. He's not a, a character that <clears throat> that everyone's as familiar with, as Superman, uh, you know, and, sure. and uh, Batman and stuff. So um, so I've been very pleasantly surprised by that. We're we're uh, we're so far ahead, uh, meaning meaning uh, I'm I'm working on issue six now, even though issue three hasn't come out yet, and. Um, I it, it's it's easy for me to to just keep what with what JT and I are doing and not really think too much about how it's being received. I'm happy that it's being received well. Right. And that that helps to reinforce the risks we've taken with the story and I've taken artistically um but for the most part, we're just trying to just focus on doing what we think is a compelling story.
0: And that's one of the, I mean, it must be a nice kind of change of pace to actually be able to um, uh, work ahead for a change. Because I know I've, I've listened to interviews with you in the past, and I, I, I you, you you, you tend to be a quicker artist I guess if, if that's the right term yeah. and so I know sometimes you're, you you kind of get crunch deadlines and stuff so knowing that this was something that got a, li- a, a bit of a lead time and like you're saying you're on issue six and there's issue three I bet you that's that's got to be a relief to you to have kind of that breathing room to, to to make sure that you know you, you can you can you know focus on getting quality stuff and getting you know staying staying far ahead
2: yes um, and that's that's the real advantage of working that far ahead is if I were if I get sick you know, like sure. If, I'm sure I'll get sick after the convention. I almost <laughs> always get sick for at least for a couple of days after a convention. Yeah. Um, that um, you know, if you're under tight deadline, you just have to push through that. And even if you're muddy headed and it's hard for you to see the solution, so to speak, on the page, right? You just have to keep pushing to, to get through your deadline. And um, it's nice to be able to have some some uh, lead time that you can just recoup and then come back to the pages fresh. You know. Um, but aside from that, yeah, it's uh, it's good to have that that sort of lead time. But it, it was also nerve-wracking at the beginning because we just didn't know. I mean, we were going to be at least three issues deep before the first one ever came out. Right. And then if if that one was received in a in a negative way, um, you know, we didn't want to have to change our course of action midstream, so to speak. Because if a book is doing really poorly, uh, you know, one of the options is you know for DC editorial to say. The book's gonna do well. We have faith in it, so just keep doing what you're doing. But another way is we kind of agree with where they're coming from, so let's change a bunch of stuff, and then you're you're scrambling to redo work. Sure. So there, there was some there was some nervousness to that, but so that's something that was alleviated with the positive, with the high numbers on the first three issues for us.
0: Well, it seems like too with this relaunch, DC is really kind of sticking to their guns. I think I think in a good way, and they're just saying, look, this is this is what we're doing. We're we're going all in, and we're gonna stand behind. You know, the, the artists, the writers, the you know, and, and everything being put out.
2: Yes, yeah, they have let, um, I mean, they let us and a lot of other creators take some some uh, daring or cool, or you know, some bigger risks with the characters that have taken them out of their established status quo. And um, I think that's hard for a publisher to do, to let, you know, to give that sort of freedom to, to uh, creative teams that, you know, you know, we're going to take Captain Adam and, and do some really weird esoteric stuff, and that doesn't always bode well for the regular, straight up, you know, middle of the road superhero comic fan. You know, sure. So we're trying to make it a, a appeal to everyone, but we're going about it hopefully in a more uh, intellectual but still entertaining way. You know.
0: Sure. Sure. So last question, I, I, I know you've got a lot of art art that you're working on here and working at the show, so I won't take up too much time, but um, you, I, I know you do most of your work or all of your work digitally, are you still doing, I know for a while you were doing one or two pages out of every book still in a conventional method, so, so you have that art to either sell or hang on to, Is, are you still doing it that way or are you completely digital? Um,
2: I'm, let's see, I, I'm kind of a third option. Like, I got you. I'm still doing, uh, let's see, all the way up through JSA All-Stars, I was working in the method you described, which was most pages uh, were started all the way through finish, uh, ink, uh, you know, from from roughs to inks, all digital. Uh, and then I would just do two to three to four whatever pages Uh I would start digitally, print out the structure then ink traditionally. And here I'm doing that. It's called a hybrid workflow as I lay it out in my how-to book. I'm, I'm doing that for all the pages of Captain Atom. So uh, the benefit of that is that I'm, I'm doing a really, you know, sort of a wet brush look for the background. Um, and that organic feel is really hard to achieve digitally. Uh, so I'm exploring what it takes to do that traditionally uh, to, to tr- traditionally so I'm still starting off the pages digitally but then I'm finishing them um, in a traditional manner uh, all the pages even if they're just talking heads or something like that
0: Wow nice All right well I really appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your, your busy time here at the con um, and thanks thanks for, for talking with me cool thanks thanks, thanks. all righty. <laughs> legendary comic artist Michael Golden. How are you sir?
3: Not bad and if you believe that I got a bridge in, bridge in Brooklyn for you.
0: Oh you're too modest, too modest. So how, how's the con been? I know you were here last year.
3: Uh, it just started. I mean it's uh, so far it's pretty busy and uh, been doing good and I'm struggling through this Captain America drawing but uh, I everybody's going to it's going to be a great con. It was a great con last year. It's going to be a great con this year. D- does your list fill up pretty quick? Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. it would. Yeah, it, it sure does. That's good. Um, oh yeah, I, that's why I'm struggling through this Captain America because I've got a whole bunch waiting already.
0: <laughs> so your your work obviously goes goes back several years. I I, I would say it's fair to say at this point. Um, yeah. And
3: go ahead, say it. Thirty it, years. Well, you yeah, know. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> um, and I so as long as. Pretty much, I've been collecting comics. You've you've been kind of a, a staple artist. I've 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 there's always something in my collection from every.
3: Is that staple or stable? <laughs> no, either,
0: either way, either way. Um, I had you actually sign my Uncanny X-Men annual last year, and uh, one one day I hope to get uh, the Avengers annual with uh, the first appearance of Rogue. That's that's kind of like one okay. of my one of my yep. Grail books to get. Yep. Um, but your work you have a pretty varied collection of work throughout the years. I mean, you it's it, you. Yeah. I, I guess you're not known for like you know one book that you did you know a billion issues on. You've you've no, done that's a true. lot of different things. That's true. Um, is is that your your preference? You just like to kind of dabble in a lot of different things? You no, know,
3: it wasn't really a preference. It was just the condition of the circumstances. Uh, and what I mean by that is that I've been a commercial artist. That's what I did for a living. <laughs> uh, and whenever I could slot in the time, basically, I would do comic books because I love the medium. Uh-huh. And so, every now and again, by virtue of circumstances, uh, I would I would find a hole, or I would make a hole, or a hole would appear. At which point, I would, you know, gravitate toward doing comic books. And I was fortunate enough to have a couple editors who would accommodate this yes. this uh, eccentricity, if you will. Yeah. And um, that's how I ended up doing what I've done. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you, looking
0: back on your work, is there is there a favorite period or a favorite set of either characters you got to draw or a, or a particular book that you were on that that you just have real fond memories of? Not at all. No,
3: everything. I have fond memories of everything. Sure. Let, me, let me stick that in there really fast. No, no, no. Yeah. Anybody reads anything into that? I, you know, I, I, I don't have a favorite, and that's on purpose. Sure. I don't. I don't want to instill my agenda into things, even when I'm co-creating something. I, you know, I want to address at the at, for the lack of a better phrase, a commercial agenda, meaning. Whatever it is that will appeal to a mass market, to to a readership, uh, not just something that is self gratifying.
0: Sure. So when you 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 said you started as a commercial artist, so when you when you got in, what was your hook into comics? Is it something that you actively pursued? Did you kind of know somebody that in the business,
3: or um, how how did you you go down that route? I guess I would always I would have to say I've always been a natural storyteller. So the medium has always sort of attracted me in one way or the other. Whether I've never really been a comic book fan, mm-hmm. but that's not to say I'm not familiar with comic books. Sure, sure. Um, I got into comic books not by virtue of some sort of conscious, you know, directed effort on my part, but when the opportunity presented itself by virtue of somebody who steered me in that direction uh, I certainly didn't turn it down I you know I grabbed it wholeheartedly gotcha gotcha so one of the things I've
0: noticed throughout your runs on different books I know like your Star Wars run I've got a the, the original Marvel Star Wars run I've got a, I've got a pretty decent collection of I that. Never
3: did a run on Star Wars.
0: Right, and that was that's right, <laughs> and that's where I was going with the question. Oh, okay. Um, the one book you did seems to be like the if, if you're if you're looking for a run of that series that's always the one that that yeah. seems impossible to find or very difficult to find. Well, it's not um, that
3: difficult to find, but it is considered if not one of the best, I, uh, yeah. certainly the most unique. Yeah. Yeah. Of that original Marvel run.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. funny, I mean, in my in my collection I've got like before that and then after that. And then yeah. so every time I go to a con I always kinda look around and see if anybody if anybody has it. Um, and sometimes I've i found it a couple times and it's been just really really abused. So I'm like, no, I'll pass on that. Um,
3: I've been told that there's a religion in France based on that. <laughs> <laughs> you that's notice what, I'm I'm not laughing. No, no I, yes, I'm
0: serious. Yes, yes. Um and then, of course, your run on Micronauts and the Nom. So, how how did you? I mean, I remember back in when that book first came out, um, that was going to be a really big... because they were actually going to do it to where I forget what it was. It was gonna it was gonna follow something to do with the time frame of the real war. It was gonna it was gonna start in the beginning and move over there, or it had a finite run. With the Nom. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, well, no,
3: the premise of that book was a real time journal.
0: Right, if you will,
3: Uh, again, for the lack of a better word, a a real-time telling of a regular soldier's experience during his tour in the war. It started out with Ed Marks and his tour, and that was the one that I worked on, Uh, and then it would do another soldier and his experience. And I think eventually it turned around to where Ed Marks, the original soldier, came back as a photojournalist and then it followed him for a course of time. But it was on a monthly, real-time schedule. There was was those 30 days passed, you know, in real time for each monthly issue. Now, is that something that you actively lobbied,
0: were you a part of the creation of that book or the concept of the book or was it something that, that Marvel went to you with? No, well,
3: no, that was Doug Murray and Larry Hama actually thought up the concept and pushed that through and got it through Marvel for, for publication. Uh, my co-creation on that was making the, the characters, the storylines, and the venues come alive for the reader. Yeah, I remember at
0: the, at the time when it came out it was, I, I hate to use the word controversial because I don't think that really applies. But it was so different than the stuff Marvel had done. I mean, they were either... Well, it
3: was different from any Warburg that had been done up to that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, Marvel pretty much at that time, they had their licensed stuff, or they had their traditional superhero stuff, or or they shunted it off to, to Epic or whatever. So, or... So, so it was kind of—it was kind of interesting that it had the full Marvel stamp on it, and it was this this realistic take on on a war book, especially the Vietnam War in the in the mid '80s. You know, where right. it was still a little sensitive, I think, for people. Well, yeah, so. it
3: was right at the right at the beginning of that period where America started to come to grips with that, the historical perspective of our involvement in right. Vietnam. Uh, that's when uh, Oliver Stone's Platoon sure. came out, sure. and then there was that whole run of Vietnam movies, and then there were you know, a lot of books were now beginning to come out about the war and the experiences of the war. And uh, I think that that's when they finally conceded and actually stuck a paragraph about the war in the history books. Right, right. Yeah. So I guess, now to
0: move to the modern, to the modern day. What, what is, is there anything coming up that, that you have that's that's coming out comic wise or
3: anything? Oh, all kinds of things. Uh, uh,
0: anything you could talk about, I should say.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, directly, I can say, well, I'm doing a Rocketeer for IDW. Actually, do, I'm doing a couple of Rocketeers for IDW. I'm nice. writing and drawing one for myself, and then I wrote one for somebody else. Uh, I am completely re-editing. Uh, the GI Joe yearbook that I originally did for Marvel. Oh wow! I'm now doing for IDW. Um, I'm doing several things for ID or for uh, DC that I'm not really certain I can talk about. Gotcha. Um, I should find out whether I can mention it. or <laughs> not. Uh, I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah. So. Well, it's not. You no, know, that's I'm. That's why I'm not mentioning it. Uh, Got a bunch of stuff with DC going on. Uh, Got uh, a couple of motion comics gigs that I'm doing. I'm doing animation. I'm doing film projects. uh, Doing a uh, uh, RPG game. Wow. uh, uh, Doing some merchandising design. My commercial work. Is actually, I I keep getting some probes from old art directors that I used to work with and some clients, but I just don't have the time for it anymore because all of the entertainment stuff is taken off.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if you work time to sleep in in there. It doesn't sound like you have no, got much time all. for that. not at
3: all. I got up at two thirty this morning, to get on the plane to get here.
0: Wow, wow. So where where can folks find you? Do you have do you have a website that they can go to, to look at your stuff
3: uh, or? and then I think. Yeah, there's a Facebook page, uh, but mostly come to conventions. Come to conventions. You'll catch me at the conventions, the Wizard conventions, like this one here in Austin. Uh, And I'll be at any number of conventions all around the planet, uh, leaving for Europe next week. Nice. And uh, just check the Facebook page and come and see me. Awesome. That's that's where you can usually catch me.
0: Great. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it.
3: Oh, you're quite welcome, sir.
0: Thank you very much. Alright, I'm here at the Austin Comic Con with Anthony Guajardo, who played Miguel on The Walking Dead. How are you? Yeah,
4: hey, I'm great, man. Just, you know, hanging out and meeting all the fans and stuff. I love it.
0: Good, yeah. We last saw you in Dallas, I guess, what, the maybe January, February, I think?
4: Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, that was
0: pretty far back. Yeah, because I guess last year at this time, your, your episode hadn't even aired yet because the show started later. Yeah. So we didn't start till the end of October, and this is mid-November already. So, so to go from from not doing cons to, to I know you I know you've you've kind of been around the con circuit quite a bit in the last last year. How do you what what are your impressions? What do you what do um, you think?
4: Actually, I just I enjoy them a lot. Like I look at the cons as more of like a like short vac- like a weekend vacation. Sure. Because you know, I get to leave the house, you know, and hang out with people. And like, like they also have like a lot of after parties and stuff, so I will just hang out with people there too. So it's, it's just cool.
0: It's a nice, good party. nice. Yeah. So um, you I I was looking at your IMDb page. So you're native of San Antonio or from yes, around? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you still officially like live in San Antonio? Or? San
4: Antonio, but i nice. be in an apartment in New Mexico.
0: Oh really? Uh, because, nice. You know, the
4: filming's great around there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. So I guess it's it's kind of easy to do the ones that are closer to home then. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um. Obviously, we've we've heard no word of any of any return uh, this season, um, and I, I won't uh, I won't probe you too much on that because I know if, if if you are coming back, you probably can't say, um, and nothing is. But I know a lot of the listeners and a lot of us on the show itself are are kind of kind of keeping hope alive that that you guys will make a return appearance because I think that was definitely one of the bright spot episodes of of last season. It had a really one of the things that was kind of funny about that that episode that you guys were in the Vatos episode was. Like when it first started, it almost seemed like almost like they were going down stereotypes with it, and I was just like, "Man, it's 2010. Are they really? Are they really going that? You know, really?" And so when they kind of made the twist on it and found out that you guys were, you know, taking care of the community and that you're taking care of your people and, you know, really kind of, you know, trying to make the best of a bad situation, I thought that was a really cool twist and of course you know of course with the grandma coming in and you know kind of interceding i thought that you know was good for you know a nice little, little bit of levity on there so oh, yeah. was that something like either when you got the script or got on set and kind of saw how that was going did that kind of appeal to you too that that you know that they were kind of making you guys out to be the heroes instead of just kind of going down the you know the, the i guess like i said the, the kind of the stereotypical route you know
4: yeah i mean i just thought it was really cool because i mean it would be cool to be a bad guy, but it's way more better to be the, you know, the good guy, the ones that are helping out. But still, in a way, my character wasn't really a hero because he was just, you know, the teenager with an attitude yeah. who was going to get the guns because he was ordered to. You know, so I think it's just. Uh, but for the, uh, you know, like uh, Guillermo, the character Guillermo sure. played by Neil Brown Jr., you know, the leader. You know he, he he has no real reason to be there, but he's there anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know because he has a big heart. It,
0: it was kind of cool because you got kind of got the best of both worlds. You know mm-hmm. you kind of we thought you were the villains and then you we're turned right out to be down, the be the be the good guys. So yeah. it was kind of cool to have, you know you kind of got your cake and eat it too in yeah. in a in a way.
4: Yeah, definitely, dude. And it was just it was cool and like the script was like written great. You know of course they. Changed it up a few times over sure. we there, you know. Like they like they did take out like a few racial remarks from uh, Norman's character. Uh-huh. You know, even though I think it would have been funny for him to be in there, but people do get offended. Sure, not me. but Whatever. <laughs>
0: uh, it's kind of interesting to see like this season how he's kind of softening up a little bit. Oh, you know? yeah,
4: well I mean you could tell from the beginning that you know he was going to turn out to just you know he was about he was going to become more likable, you know, and uh, but. Yeah, I mean, he's just his character has changed a lot. Yeah, he's matured, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, what? Uh, what else do you have going on? Anything? Anything up and coming you can talk about, or?
4: Yeah, um, two independent films. One called The Rose, The Coward. I have uh, a feature film that I should be working on sometime oh, soon. Uh, it's a <laughs> You know they're they're getting Paul Walker and they're just still working on it. Nice. You know Paul Walker, but they're waiting for him to finish. You know Fast and Furious six.
0: Yeah. You know? <laughs> that franchise just yeah. got crazy. Yeah. So. It's so like let's just keep running money, so we'll yeah, just keep making you know, another one. I mean, uh, more cars. It's but fun. I mean, yeah. you know.
4: They're still pretty good, though. You
0: know. I. You know fun. it's 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 so funny because some people you know tease me about it because mm-hmm. I've seen pretty much all of them in the theater.
4: Mm-hmm. Um. But it's it's just fun. It's just yeah. turn off
0: your brain, you know. Just, just watch. watch. Yeah, you know exactly. So it's yeah, just a lot be of fun. You back
4: watching Fast and Furious 2000.
0: Yeah, as long as they keep making money, they'll keep making them.
4: Fast and Furious in space.
0: Yeah, that's when <laughs> it jumps the shark.
4: <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah, dude. Um, that movie. I have a sitcom coming up called Sol Streets of Lamar coming in Dallas. Oh, nice. Yeah, and is um, is it,
0: uh, it going to be like regular network TV? Is it going to be? Uh, I don't
4: think they've sold it yet. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And then um, I'm working a three movie deal, but I can't really say. No, me. sure, yeah, you know? no. But yeah, pretty much, you know. To sum it up, I'm hoping for 2012 to be my year. Good, if good. And definitely 2013. Awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for you for sure. Thanks. I um, And hopefully, hopefully we'll see you guys come back. Oh, um, yeah. If not in season two, but maybe in season three. You should. Um, yeah. That'll be awesome. That that'll be awesome.
4: That, oh my god, dude, that'll be amazing. Yeah, like it's just being on set. Like on that, like that set right there, that specific set, it's just amazing. You know, you walk on set and there's a big blown up tank, Yeah. there's a big bus that's been lit on fire, a bunch of cars, zombies, you know, it's a great atmosphere, you know, it's really cool, all the actors are awesome, and it's just... It's just one of the greatest sets I've ever been on in my
0: life. Nice. It was really we were at the New York Comic Con and we went to the to the panel. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that just really blew me away was not so much, you know, the QA and that the, the you know the, the you know the formal stuff they were doing, but after the fact, all those guys, every one of them were you know shaking hands with fans and they were signing stuff and they were you know taking photo you know pictures and photo ops and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and it was just and and uh, Chandler was he was great oh, yeah, um, cool. you know too. just having a good time yeah. and uh, but I was just really blown away that you know they really you know everybody's I mean you guys when you're you know at the cons like when we saw you in Dallas you're really into the fans and real open and you know it's it's not that stuffy Hollywood you know
4: atmosphere yeah. that that typically like, so okay yeah. Talk to you by, yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. no, 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 you know, we uh, we so it's really, really cool, it. you know, like everyone on set, you can tell that they're just so happy to be there, and so when they're at the cons, you're just they're happy that people are there to meet them, yeah, you know, stuff like that, you know, like, um, I remember this one time, I think it was in Albuquerque Comic Con, um, this couple drove up from I believe Laredo all the way to Albuquerque, wow. And they said, dude, you know, we saw you on the list and we had to come meet you. And I was like, really? And I was like, really? <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I love you. You know, it's just, it's a, a feeling that you get inside that just, you know, it makes you realize that you're doing something right.
0: Sure, sure. You know. So now are you, I mean, this is a Comic-Con. Are you Are you into comics at all
4: or um, um, Comic books, not so much, but the old-school cartoons that I used to watch. As oh, yeah, yeah, You really yeah. know, in the 90s. You
0: know? Yeah, old-school in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> old-school 90s <90 laughs>
4: cartoons,
0: sorry. And uh, no, no, that's fine.
4: Transformer cartoons. Sure. You know, all the superhero ones, Justice League, all that. Yeah. Um. So
0: do you get time to, like, walk the floor and just kind of see everything every so often, no, or are you um, pretty much, I'm like, really to, busy?
4: I've been, I've been okay busy, but it's just I'm... Every time I leave, I end up not coming back.
3: Yeah, yeah, I
4: just I get real into all this stuff. Sure. You know, and um, I go to like a lot of the vendors and I'll talk to them and um, stuff like that. You know, like ask some questions because a lot of the artists too. Like I think it's sure. amazing. I wish I could draw. I can draw. Oh yeah, I can't.
0: Yeah. i yeah, No, same boat. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> so I mean, if I if I left this booth, I wouldn't would come back for like maybe an hour. Yeah. So you know, in time, you know. Yeah, sure. It's just people come by and they see you, you're not here and then. Yeah. To
0: no. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah it makes sense. Makes sense. So, you have any other upcoming cons that that you can talk about or appearances?
4: Um, I'm supposed to be doing the Tides of Torture, which is the first horror cruise. Interesting. Interesting. You have to check that out. Oh, and Albuquerque Comic Con again. Oh, nice. I love it so much. And when I go to the Albuquerque Comic Con, I'm actually just going to stay there. That's where I'm going to get my apartment. Oh,
0: nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I can't wait. So, it'll be a nice housewarming party is the the con. Yeah.
4: (laughs) You know, and uh, it's going to be my first time on my own. You know, outside of my parent's house, like, I'm 18. Scary, so scary deal. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, I want to, I want to build up my credits before going to LA. Because sure. I know a lot of people have gone to LA with just a few credits and like, you know, they've they've done okay, but they go and then they just get crushed. Yeah. Now, I've been there and I yeah. lived there for like maybe like four months, a year, like out of a year, you know, sure. a few times. And I mean, I did okay, but it's just, it's tough.
0: Yeah. Well, the cost of living in New Mexico is going to be a lot more a lot, in your yeah. favor than in uh, LA. Definitely. So. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so, again, thanks thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, I appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, no, no problem. And uh, good luck with your career, and uh, good luck at the Con. Well, I
3: appreciate it,
0: Thanks. Yeah. All right, I'm here at Austin Con again with uh, Nick Patara. Hi, Nick, how are you?
5: Uh, really good. Uh, thanks for uh, interviewing me.
0: Oh, no problem, no problem. Really love the Red Wing. I was kind of sad almost that it was a four-issue series because I was hoping we'd uh, we'd get to see a little more. Uh,
5: yeah, um, we always plan for it to be four issues, a four-issue miniseries, but the good news is me and Jonathan are working on another project, uh, the Manhattan Project, that's going to be ongoing at Image, so it'll be me and Jonathan working together again, and uh, Manhattan Project is a story about all the physicists that got together in the 1940s who... Uh, Developed the atomic bomb, but in the, our our take on the Manhattan Project is we're studying all the things that what that they also explored that we're saying they explored as a kind of revisionist take on history with. All Einstein and Oppenheimer and such, uh, messing around with time travel and teleports and aliens and such. So.
0: Nice. I'm a huge history buff, so that'll that I always like when they do something in history and then put a little twist on it. So
5: yeah, yeah, that's that's totally Jonathan's thing, and uh, it's gonna be really fun. It's gonna be kind of like a Hellboy, sci-fi type thing. Uh, a lot of cool characters and a lot of uh, really wacky takes on them.
0: Nice. So I must ask, when you first got the script for for the Red Wing, did you really just kind of scratch your head and go? what is he thinking with this
5: yeah right off the bat when jonathan asked me if i wanted to work on it he was like what do you think about uh doing a a concept where it's like time traveling meets top gun and then yeah as i got the scripts in there crazy sometimes i didn't even understand him until i got like all the dialogue and had it all together and i was able to read it myself but um he was always good about guiding me and uh he's always uh he's been a big supporter of my work for a long time so when he asked if i would work with him i was really flattered and uh it's kind of launched my art career. So, yeah, it's, it's been a fun project. And uh, uh, working with him, uh, he's much more down to earth than his scripts might lead on.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've actually interviewed him. Uh, it was before. Actually, when Shield was like first announced, we we actually had him on to talk a little bit. Yeah, he's, um, a, he's
5: a guy's guy. Like he'll he'll, yeah. he'll call me up and he'll make jokes and stuff. You would think, you know, when you read his heavy scripts, you think he's got like a pipe and he lives in the mountains, you know, <laughs> smoking a pipe and writing crazy stuff. But no, he's just a down to earth guy and he just loves making comics. I know uh, he's a fun, he's a great collaborator, that's for sure. I,
0: I mean, the cool thing with with the Red Wing though is you get to the end and it okay, it, it's like it clicks. Okay, it makes I get it. The cool thing is to go back and reread yeah. the four. And I think that's that's a really cool thing in comics. Sometimes comics can be confusing in, in a bad way. It's like you don't know what's going on. And this one, you knew what was going on. You just didn't quite... Like putting the pieces together were tough. And I think I'm, I'm looking forward... Because I just read it uh, last week. So I'm looking forward to going back and digging up the other three. And uh, and reading it over again to kind of get that that full picture. So I, I I appreciate that in a comic. It's it's kind of rare that we get that nowadays.
5: Yeah, like a, even in issue four, the dialogue between Dominic and the general. Um, he's the general's talking about uh, his dad uh, had kind of turned dark or, or was evil, and then you realize that, whatever the, without giving it away, you realize all the everything he says has a, a lot more meaning to it by when you go back and read it again. Sure. So, so yeah, and I didn't I didn't. I, didn't, I got the pages kind of swooped at to me so I didn't really know what was happening until I got the last five pages and I was like oh and then did, and it made a lot more sense to me yeah did,
0: did you find like a lot of times when I watch time travel movies I find I'm arguing with myself over the concepts of it did you, did, did you yeah gotta,
5: I totally had to make a little family tree and then I'm like well how does that happen that ha- and then how does that happen it didn't once you realize you're doing that, the, the last words on the book kind of, you know, there is no end. It's kind of like that because you don't really know what sure. would happen first and what doesn't happen first. Right. And if someone's, you know, someone's extended relative that should be down on the family trees older than them, then obviously something had to happen before that for them to come back and do it. But then which timeline really exists? But there's divergent timelines because different things happen. And so. And then your head hurts. Yeah, and then your head hurts. <laughs> and then obviously, um, you know, Dominic's son, who, you know, spoiler alert, is a general, <laughs> That, that, that guy had to come from a different time stream, you know, yeah. because it's a different divergent time. So now he's in, so then what does that mean? And then by the time you're done you realize it's a time travel story and it's going to be hard to figure out and you're going to have to apply your own meaning to it. So. Right, so, right. Yeah.
0: So talk a little about artistic style. I've heard how, I know Jonathan is kind of like, he has a very strong graphic design sense. And when you, it's funny because when you read the book and when you start, it's like you can tell this is a Hickman book um you get kind of the you know the pre you get like the the prologue and then you get like the title page which is kind of like a credits thing which i think is a really cool effect and then you kind of get the story so and and being an artist himself how 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 much direction did he give you with the art specifically and how much of it was kind of left up to you
5: um drawing all the fundamentals of drawing stuff is leaf. Uh, is left up to me. Uh, for me personally, when I work, I, just tend to, I tend to talk down to readers. I like really clear story, storytelling. Jonathan would rather not talk down to the reader at all, and rather have stuff that looked designy and clean and much nicer. So, what he, he acts like an art director <laughs> on the project, because I get all of my roughs and everything approved through him. He'll tweak stuff and say, "Hey, think about this or that." Um, He always tells me to clean stuff up. I'm a detail whore. I love putting down detail, and he likes clean and white. Right. And he says that if I keep stuff white and then go detail, it'll have more punch than just to drown the reader out. Sure. With all the detail. And so he's helped me. He guides me a lot with that. I mean, he helped design the planes. I did the helmets. Uh, It was a real, I mean, we really collaborate on everything. On the Manhattan Projects, the next thing, same thing. I got all my roughs approved and character designs approved, and he'll do overdraws. and. I'll come back with something, and uh, it's a really uh, a true collaborative effort. And he really acts like an art director more so than any of the editors I've worked at with, at Marvel or uh, anyone I've ever collaborated with. And he really uh, he really helps guide me and, and helps uh, helps me out a lot. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I like the design of the, the time fighters or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. They're kind of like X-Wing-ish yeah, yeah, in their yeah. design, but they're nice and clean, very angular. Yeah. So it all kind of fits with the, you know, hard science and everything. And the helmets are awesome. I mean, that was one of the cool things with issue one is you get this, this kind of cockeyed helmet that has the you know the crack on it in the yeah. front with the you know it's again it's mostly white and then you get you know kind of that splash of red on there too so yeah. um it, it definitely if you're you know in the shop and you're just kind of cruising by it's definitely something that that catches your eye and
5: that was uh actually john like my my original time time my mock one or whatever was like an f-16 all shoot up and crazy very jeff darrow crazy uh-huh. and john does like come back he came back he's like clean and cleaner so it looks sleeker and uh, and I love the way it came out by the time we were done. And it was his idea, too, to do the limited covers. And he's right. Like, when you walk past on the shop, white with one image stands oh, yeah. out so much more than, you know, photoshopped colors and crazy characters. You know? Yeah, yeah. Even though the other stuff is, is, you know, it's a ton of work went into it. Uh, there's something nice and like you know visually uh, stimulating about something clean on white. So, nice. yeah.
0: I tend, I, I mean, just my personal taste, I tend to like that clean style. So when I saw this, I was like, it almost kind of has like a European
5: feel oh, oh, to big, it. Yeah, big time. Uh, Mobius is one of my main uh, influences. And that,
0: it, yeah, yeah, of course.
5: Influenced Frank Wyatt, Lee, and Jeff Darrow, and sure. you can probably see all those guys uh, influencing my work. Only not as good yet, but I'm getting there. So. Oh,
0: I was very pleased. I, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of books out there where the art is kind of like eh. Yeah. And um, no, this is—it was, was very good, very solid. Like I said, very clean. I was—I was very impressed and pleased with it.
5: Yeah, it was my first, uh, really first time doing a full comic, much less a full series. So hopefully the next thing will be even better. So yeah.
0: No, that'd be awesome. So other than—is there anything else that you have upcoming that you talk about? Or where can folks find you on the web?
5: Uh, I mean, I'm a member of Studios.com and it's a—it's uh, kind of a digital studio with a bunch of guys: Chris Burnham, who works with Grant Morrison and Coy Band who works on the X-Men. We're all sure. together on there. Um, my next project is going to be an ongoing with Image uh, and with Jonathan again, for the Manhattan Projects what I talked about earlier. Um, NickPatera.com. You can find me. I keep a blog, and I'll post updates and stuff. So, yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Any other cons that you got coming up that you might be, be
5: gonna, out and about it? I'm going to do the Wizard World, um, Wizard World New Orleans, for sure. I'm going to go to HeroesCon Hero next year and meet Jonathan for the first time. Nice. And then um, I'll do the regular, any of the big ones in Texas that I can drive to on my go-to.
0: Are you local to Texas then? Is that yeah, your I'm, I'm, I'm Oh studying. okay, got gotcha. yeah. yeah, I lived in Houston for about twenty years. So cool, cool. Nice, nice. Alright, well thank you. I really appreciate your time and uh, continued success.
5: Hey, I appreciate you having me on, thank you.
0: Thanks.